The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. Today's world news, what it means, where it's taking us. I bring you the one and only possible message of world peace. This is a message of hope, tremendous hope. And he said unto me, you must prophesy again. The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. I think Liz Cheney's book is one of the most profound works of American literature in our time. And I think that it will be studied for generations to come, just as we study many books in our founding documents in grade school on forward. Comedy gold right there from the clavicles lady. She's probably she's probably also enrolled in the new Harvard course on Taylor Swift. We'll be studying it for generations to come right alongside the founding documents produced by John Adams, Thomas Jefferson, and yes, Liz Cheney. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. We appreciate you joining us on today's show. You can get to the live video stream of this show at trumpetdaily.com and also at our Rumble channel. Just go to rumble.com forward slash trumpetdaily. And you can see the show every weekday morning at 11 a.m. in the central time zone of the United States. Don't forget about the evening replay on Live from America TV. That's LFA TV over at Rumble as well. That's every weekday evening at 8 p.m. central time zone, uh, except on Fridays where I think it's maybe an hour earlier. Lots to get to on this anniversary day, 34 years, the Philadelphia Church of God got off to its humble mustard seed beginning 34 years ago today when my father and his assistant were fired from the Worldwide Church of God after a a four-hour meeting with uh, individuals named Joseph Tkach Jr. and Michael Fazell. They uh, sat across the desk from uh, my father and John Amos and uh, fired them after serving for decades as ministers really gave them nothing in the way of a a pension or anything. And uh, the PCG got off to, as they say, its humble start just after that. We've put together a a special news of the work uh, segment that'll be leading off the second segment um, a little bit later on in the show. So you want to stay around for that and uh, and appreciate the, uh, the, uh, the trip down memory lane as far as the Philadelphia Church of God history is concerned. Also on today's show, we're going to get to, uh, we're going to get to last, in case you didn't know, there was a Republican debate last night and guess who won the debate? I'll give you a hint. I'll give you a hint. He sounds a lot like Hitler. We'll get to that. We've got the montage. I didn't watch the debate. You didn't either. But we've got the few highlights or lowlights, whatever you want to, I guess, whatever you want to call it. We've got a few of those lined up for you uh, later on, including this this 30-second snippet where Megyn Kelly absolutely destroys Chris Christie. That's coming up later on in the show, and hopefully if we have time, I've been meaning to get to some content that we have on uh, Barack Obama's war, his ongoing war against uh, Israel, Joe Obama, all these stories where... You know, it's Israel basically standing alone, standing without its uh, its number one ally for for the past many decades, the United States. 
Israel going it alone. So this Harvard course on Taylor Swift, it, it is a real thing, by the way. This is, this is from uh, the Messenger Entertainment. It says, after making her way onto several college syllabi in recent years, several colleges, it says here, Harvard University has become one of the latest institutions to offer a course on the 12-time Grammy Award winner with the English department's Taylor Swift and Her World, that's the name of the course, making its debut from Professor Stephanie Burt. This is true. It's a true story. It says, according to the Harvard Crimson, the syllabus will include deep dives into Swift's lyrics, music, and influence, dissecting her catalog and reading a host of authors Burt finds relevant to understanding Swift's artistry. <laughs> so she'll, she'll no doubt be right up there with the founding fathers. I mean, this is Harvard. Harvard has come a long way since it was established back in the 1600s in order to make sure there was an educated clergy. It was to teach the ministry, the ministers of that time, to make sure they had a well-rounded liberal arts education. Now you look at Harvard today and, and look at what it's producing. Look at, look at what these institutions of higher learning, look at what they produce. Hutchinson, for her part, she was, well, she was on there, I guess it was MSNBC, not just talking about how wonderful Liz Cheney's book is, but she, of course, had to chime in along with all the rest in the regime media to tell you just how dangerous it would be if Donald Trump ever came back into office. Clip six. And Ms. Hutchinson, was this the only instance that you are aware of where the president through dishes? It's not. How many more such incidents did you experience there? <laughs> there are uh, several, and that's probably being a little too uh, underestimating mm -hmm. a little too much, Lawrence. But out of all of the reasons that Donald Trump should never be anywhere close to the Oval Office again, this may seem like a minor one, but his volcanic temper he deserves to be nowhere near the nuclear code buttons. You know, I think that we should let the ketchup be splayed on the walls at Mar-a-Lago, and I'm sure there's plenty of it down there nowadays. Uh, last night, uh, Donald Trump said he will be uh, a dictator on day one. Do you think he'll be a dictator on day two? I think Donald Trump poses an extreme threat to American security and American prosperity. I think that Donald Trump, a vote for Donald Trump is a vote for a fascist government. And yes, I mean, Donald Trump has told us who he is for years and years. So for him to even joke about being a dictator, we need to believe what he says. Everybody needs to believe what he says. Of course, yes, uh, he's definitely a fascist. He threw dishes, Hitler threw dishes. So, I mean, can't you connect the dots here? This is someone that used to work for Donald Trump. Same with Michael Cohen. He's on the shows last night, just completely, completely unhinged. Clip uh, eight. First of all, if, if he's going to be a dictator on day one, rest assured, I know him better than almost anybody. 
He won't be a dictator on day two. He will be a king. He will make himself into the Fuhrer and he will make everybody raise their hand and salute him. You know, Heil because that's what he is. That's what he wants. He is an autocratic wannabe with autocratic tendencies. He's already told people he's going to shut down this station. He wants to jail your president's CEO. He wants to execute Joint Chief of Staff Mark Milley. He wants to, you know, uh, execute uh, Mike Pence. I mean, he's got a hit list of people. He wants to throw everyone into Gitmo. So again, it's a laughable narrative on the one hand, but the serious takeaway, we, we covered it two days ago on the Tuesday program. The title was Democrat Regime Green Lights Trump Assassin- Assassination Plots. I mean, look at the, the Bernie bro. Years ago, he went to that softball field, shot up those Republicans. These, these people are inciting violence, violence that they want aimed at Trump. Above all, Trump and his supporters, but especially Trump. And as I say, the serious takeaway, when you go to that Washington Post article, when you look at what the New York Times is now writing, when you consider that uh, the entire staff at The Atlantic putting together 20-some articles on how horrible it would be to have another Trump presidency. But I mean, the image with, uh, with Caesar... They're at the, the Washington Post last week. These people are completely unhinged, as I say. Greg Gutfeld at Fox News, he, he made this point that we, that we really did delve into in a, quite a lot of detail on Tuesday's show. Here's clip five. And then the key phrase that Joe said in this uh, fundraiser, we can't let him win. We can't let him win. That's the bat signal. All right. You see the Atlantic devoting an entire issue to Trump is Hitler stories. Liz Cheney saying that Trump will end democracy as she goes on her media tour. And we have the president saying we can't let him win. So the fix is in. Right. It's an explicit approval that all things are. All actions to stop orange Hitler are permissible. And again, if you have the threat of Hitler in front of you, everything's it would be immoral if you didn't do anything. Right. Think about all the things you can do. You know, you can lie, you can cheat, you can kill. That's right. You can kill as well. I mean, if you had, you had a chance to go back in time to kill Hitler before he ever launched his invasion of Europe, would you do it? That's the hypothetical. You'll hear that asked from time to time. And now people are asking the same thing, or if they're not asking it outright, They're suggesting it or implying it for sure. If you can remove Adolf Hitler, well then you should do it, no matter the means, no matter the amount of lying or cheating or stealing or killing. Gutfeld even talked about the steal. Again, they have to dance around it pretty carefully uh, at Fox News, but listen to what else he said on the same show and again I guess if you put his sweater together with Cassidy Hutchinson's makeup I'm not sure if this is a seasonal thing but try to look past that and concentrate on the words clip four 
Think about how Joe won the election. Fine people hoax, the Russian hoax, P-tape, the impeachment based on a phone call that turned out to be pretty accurate, the cabal that suppressed uh, Joe Biden, uh, Hunter Biden's laptop, the idea that if you elected Trump, that would lead to war. And then what happened when Joe was elected? Two wars, two wars, an imploded border, inflation, crime everywhere. And what was missing was what Joe promised, healing. He was going to heal us. Think about how he won the election, says Gutfeld. And then he goes through all of these lies, these hoaxes. They did all of that, uh, but they certainly would never tamper with ballots. They certainly would never produce fake ballots or stuff the ballot box with uh, fraudulent ballots. They've, they stole it in a thousand ways, a thousand different ways. He alluded to just a few of them. The censorship, the hoaxes. And then uh, the fake president gets in there and it continues right on the road that Barack Obama set the country on in 2009, fundamentally transforming the United States. This is from the AP. I thought this was interesting, not just because of who it mentions, but it says here, former President Donald Trump is urging supporters to guard the vote during next year's election, a phrase that has set off alarm bells among pro-democracy advocates who say it signals permission to take extreme measures that could intimidate voters and threaten election workers. This something as simple and innocuous as guarding the vote, the integrity of the vote. And now the AP is concerned because, well, he's a dictator. You know, he, this is Hitler guarding the vote. It says here, the phrase is relatively, a relatively novel one for Trump, uh, though activists in the far-right movement have been setting the groundwork for it to be deployed more widely. Former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn, he's been on this program, has spent months repeating the, the phrase in posts, speeches, and interviews. And then Victor Melor, he's also visited the campus, has spent months repeating the, the phrase, has been, spent months repeating the, the phrase in posts, speeches, interviews. Uh, Victor Melora, a close fr- uh, Flynn associate, told the AP he's been uh, setting up a new group called Guard the Vote ahead of the 2024 elections. Melora provided AP a video that showed the group's new command center in Florida. I've been inside the command center not that long ago. It's, a, it's an impressive place where they're just going to help poll watchers monitor the elections, making sure there's no stealing like there was last time. General Flynn, by the way, we're hoping he can pay us another visit. Maybe, uh, maybe in April we'll uh, get back to you on any further developments there. But he's one of the few, really. He, well, you heard him right here on this program. He's actually, he's actually taking a courageous stand because he, like several others, knows that the country, the country is dying. The America that we knew, going back to our youth, our childhood, it's dying. It's being fundamentally transformed. And like we keep saying, look at how many, even Republicans in Congress, are just too weak to do anything. I mentioned earlier this week, that the Republicans, 105 of them, including Comer. I didn't check to see if McCarthy voted to remove him as well. He probably did. 
I'll check on that after the show. 105 Republicans voting to expel one of their, their votes, basically. He was a re- 90, 98% voted conservative, did Santos. And they say, well, no, we got to get rid of him. He's unethical. And then yesterday, McCarthy says he's stepping down at the end of this month. So you have the Republicans who had a, a 222 seat uh, majority. You've got to have 218. They only had four extra seats. Now they're down to 220. Self-inflicted wounds. Their, their, their majority's already razor thin. And now they're just shooting themselves in the foot. You see, you see where their loyalties lie. Most of these, most of these rhino Republicans, they're loyal to the Uniparty, which is basically controlled by the Democrats. They like it when the Democrats are in, are in control. They would prefer, they would prefer Joe Obama over Donald Trump because Trump's Hitler. So they don't stand and fight. And they they remove even their own. For what? Nobody knows. Nobody knows what Santos did. He he hasn't been convicted of anything. This story with Bob Menendez, he's the Democrat senator. This is from the, the New York or NBC New York. It says at least four gold bars tied to the FBI search of Senator Robert Menendez's home had been directly linked to a New Jersey businessman now accused of bribing the state's senior uh, senator. So he was bribed. He was bribed with gold bars that had been stolen. He's still there as a sitting senator. A senator in good standing, because he's a Democrat. Says the businessman, Fred Debye, Uh, reported to police he was the victim of an armed robbery in 2013. He reported $500,000 in cash stolen, 22 gold bars. It says each gold bar has its own serial number. A decade later, FBI said four of the gold bars with unique serial numbers had come into the possession of Senator Menendez and his wife. There you go. That happens all the time. Menendez and his wife are also accused of taking payoffs from a businessman, uh, the FBI said. In exchange, investigators said the senator allegedly used his position as chair of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee to help Hannah win an exclusive Hillel meat inspection contract with the Egyptian government. So he was on the take from Egypt, taking these bribes, selling favors. Does that sound familiar? (laughs) That's <laughs> what the Biden crime family's been doing for decades. For, for decades. And so here come the Republicans. Just eager, anxious. Take out Santos. But hey, Menendez, he's untouchable. Hunter, untouchable. Joe Biden, untouchable. And certainly, certainly the dear leader, completely untouchable. And then bring up Donald Trump. And their heads just about explode. Even former Trump associates, I mean, they are highly sought after on the evening talk shows. If you can get someone that used to work for Trump to come on TV and now trash him, well, you'll be on every other night. Even if you talk about dishes and clavicles, it's riveting. It's just riveting news. It's riveting reporting. So they think. The Republican debate here again. 
Were it not for this show, you probably wouldn't even know it took place. They had another one last night. Here's a montage, clip 10. Even said that you got into this race just to stop President Trump. His approval rating with Republicans is currently at 81%. Yours is at 25. Your best state is New Hampshire, and even there, two-thirds of GOP voters say they would be angry and disappointed if you won. Respectfully, Governor, you have not stopped, Mr. Trump, and voters may wonder how you could possibly become the nominee of a party that does not appear to like you very much. Well, look, Megan, um, it's often very difficult to be the only person on the stage who's telling the truth. You seem to be saying Donald Trump is no longer mentally fit to be president. Is that what you think? Look, he he is showing father time is undefeated. The idea that we're going to put someone up there that's almost 80 and there's going to be no effects from that. We all know that that's not true. Why is he just answering the question? The question was very direct. Is he fit to be president or isn't he? The rest of the speech is interesting, but completely non-responsive. And if we were in a courtroom, they'd strike the answer and say, Governor DeSantis. No, they wouldn't. They would say you're that a smart they would man. Argue that the, no, they would. No, they wouldn't. They would Chris. strike the answer. No, they would. Because you're not answering you it. You just don't like. You have your. You have your thing. You have your thing. No, I don't have my thing. We don't. the thing. Is we do not want to do. And I want to start first with Angela because this is your first time watching the debate. You are a Trump supporter, and so I want to know what did you think of what you saw tonight. I thought there were a lot of fireworks going on. It was interesting to watch the candidates interact, and Trump is still the winner. Trump is still the winner. Why? I like the policies. I like my retirement fund. Build the border. Drill, baby, drill. Uh, the America's future is very bright under Trump's leadership. She likes all those, those dictator policies, like closing the border and being energy independent. She saw the debate. Trump is still the winner over at Town Hall. It says here, the fourth Republican debate in Alabama was another entertaining spectacle despite all four candidates having no chance of beating Donald Trump in the GOP primaries. Here they have no chance. So they go, they argue, they point fingers, and Donald Trump, he, he, keeps, he keeps rising in popularity. Hitler, Hitler, meanwhile, the fake president, I mean, he's trying to do everything he can to just survive this next year politically. I mentioned the comment he made at that fundraiser that he, if were it not for Trump running, he, pro- he might not even be running himself. But he's the, he's the Donald Trump destroyer, Joe Biden. Uh, a, a reporter yesterday followed up on that remark. Listen to clip two. Would you be running for president Trump unless he's running? I, I expect so, but look, he is running and I just, I have to run. Would you drop out of Trump right now? No, not now. Like I was saying earlier this week, I mean, you wonder, given that it's, what, December 7 now? It's December 7. I mean, we're, we're 11 months away. If they're going to, if, if Barack Obama's going to throw him under the bus... He better do it pretty soon. Pretty soon. We'll see what happens. There's the fake president, though, saying, I've got I've to run because the bad orange man's running. I've got to go against Hitler. I've got to go against uh, these MAGA Republicans. He uh, had his big press conference or news conference yesterday where he talked about how important it is to send another $60 billion to Ukraine. 
you can actually fast forward to, to that one if you guys know which where that is. There is polling by the Associated Press that shows that almost 70% of Americans, including 40% of Democrats, believe that you acted either illegally or unethically in regards to your family's business. If Putin business. takes Ukraine, he won't stop there. It's important to see the long run here. He's going to keep going. He's made that pretty clear. If Putin attacks a NATO ally, if he keeps going, and then he attacks a NATO ally, well, we've committed as a NATO member that we defend every inch of NATO territory, then we'll have something that we don't seek and that we don't have today. American troops fighting Russian troops. So if we don't send them, t- if we don't send the oligarchs tens of billions of dollars, it's going to be U.S. against Russia. It's inevitable. Send more money. Notice that they're fully supportive of Ukraine to the tune of billions and billions. It's 113 billion already. Another 60 billion on top of that? It's like a fourth of a trillion dollars. But now Israel's effort in Gaza, they've got to stop. That, that better grind to a halt. That war cannot get too many civilians dying. So it's the same, the same administration. Now, he goes out, he's trying to sell the country that's got a wide open southern border on 60 billion more for Ukraine. And then he gets a question at the end. Surprise, surprise, by the way, he took some questions, finally. And he got one he didn't like. Not at all. Clip 11. There is polling by the Associated Press that shows that almost 70% of Americans, including 40% of Democrats, believe that you acted either illegally or unethically in regards to your family's business interests. Can you explain to the Americans, uh, to Americans at this impeachment inquiry, why you interacted with so many of your son and brother's foreign business associates? I'm not going to comment that I did not, and it's just a bunch of lies. Didn't interact with many of their business associates? I did not. There's lies. That's yesterday. That's not four, five, six years ago. That's Joe Biden yesterday maintaining that all you've heard about my associations with Hunter Bi- Hunter's business and his business associates, those are lies. He was getting direct payments every month from Hunter's business. And there's pictures of him with the associates all over the place now. Even CNN has debunked this lie, this lie that he continues to tell to this day. Listen to this CNN report, clip nine. Despite his denials, a CNN review of the laptop data, as well as other public material, shows that Joe Biden did interact with some of his son's associates while serving as vice president, though it's unclear exactly what was discussed. One example, the Republican site, Miguel Aleman Magnani, a Mexican businessman and son of the former president who Hunter was trying to woo. In 2014, Aleman Magnani and his dad were photographed at the White House with then-Vice President Biden. In a later email, Hunter Biden reminds Alemani Magnani of the favors he's done for him. We have been talking about business deals and partnerships for seven years. I have brought every single person you have ever asked me to bring to the effing White House and the vice president's house and the inauguration. Hunter Biden bluntly acknowledged the power of the Biden name in a memoir, writing that the Ukrainian energy company Burisma, which put him on its board, considered my last name gold. I don't think that there's a lot of things that would have happened in my life that uh, that if my last name wasn't Biden. 
I mean, they're bragging about their crimes on the one hand. Then you get one uncomfortable exchange at a press conference. Well, what about these crimes? They're lies! They're lies. He's the one who's lying. Even CNN knows this. Even CNN can't cover this up. Listen to the. This was when he was campaigning four years ago. He had the exchange with this guy who challenged him. And here again, boy, you, Biden got a little hot under the collar. This is clip 12. You're, you're selling access to the president just like he is. So you let liar, man. That's not true. And no one has ever said that. No one has ever said that. I see it on the TV. You see it on the TV. No, no I know you do. And by the way, that's why I'm not sedentary. I, I get up and move. No, let him go. Let him go. Look, the reason I'm not is because I've been around a long time and I know more than most people now. Well, I did not on any occasion, and no one has ever said it. Now, I didn't say you were doing anything wrong. You said I set up my son to work in an oil company. Then you know what you said? I just reward straight, Jack. That's what I read here on, the, on MSNBC. All you don't hear that on MSNBC. You did not hear that at all. What you heard? Look. Okay, I'm not going to get more than you, man. Well, I don't want to either. Well, yeah, you do, but uh, look, look, fat, look, here's the deal. Look, fat, here's the deal, says the fake president. I saw it on MSNBC. You're selling access. That's how your son got that cushy job at Burisma. No, you didn't see it on MSNBC. No, we, we haven't sold access. He got a job at Burisma because he, he really knew a lot about the field of oil and gas. That's what they say. The, and these people, these people want to talk about the made-up crimes involving Donald Trump. Moving boxes. What else? What else? What else? Oh, overinflating the value of your, uh, your real estate empire. What other kind of things? Oh, paying someone this? Hush money or whatever? These people are crooks, criminals, and, it, and it's been exposed. <laughs> to see them look in the camera and just lie and then walk right out of the room. No more questions then. If you're going to ask me about that, if you're going to ask me about these lies, then I'll walk right out of the room. It'll be interesting. Well, Hunter's been subpoenaed. They wanted it uh, behind closed doors, a closed door session. And Hunter's attorneys already contacted Comer's people and said, if it's not an open hearing, we're not going to show up. Well, it'll be interesting to see if, uh, if Hunter's held in contempt or if there's a pre-dawn raid at his house. I mean, they, they didn't let Steve Bannon get away with that on that sham committee, the January 6th cover-up committee. It'll be interesting to see if Hunter gets the same kind of, of treatment. This is the, the administration. These are the people that are out there saying everything at the southern border. I mean, Mayorkas said this has been like, like Biden's record on the border is just perfect. The election was perfect. They say the, the economy is perfect. There's this story from CBS News. It says the typical American household must spend an additional $11,400 annually just to maintain the same standard of living they enjoyed in January of 2021. Just almost three years ago. 
ordinary Americans are having to spend almost $12,000 more per year just to maintain the same standard of living. And they, the government, I mean, they want to keep the slush fund going into Ukraine because the Biden crime family knows they're going to get a cut, a cut back from them. But, but with respect to Israel, that's over. That story, the, I mean, they're 9-11 times 20. It's old news. It's old news. Keep Ukraine going forever. Keep the gravy train into Ukraine going forever. But Israel, I mean, you know Barack Obama. You know, you know what he thinks about Israel. He hates the Jews. He's, he wants a one-state solution. That would be the Israelis without a state in the Middle East. This is from, uh, this is from uh, American Spectator making the point, basically, that we've been making since October 7. It says, over the past week, President Biden and his administration have made it clear that they do not want Israel to win the war Hamas terrorists started on October 7. They want Israel to lose. They do not want to see Hamas wiped out because the mullahs don't want this. That's, that's Iran's proxy. And it's right there at Israel's doorstep. That's a valuable tool in the minds of the mullahs. And Barack Obama, I mean, he's right in step with them. The mullahs, that is. It says, Biden and Tony Blinken, his Secretary of State, don't want Israel to achieve its main objective, which is to eliminate Hamas's threat to its national existence. They want to tether Israel to a very short leash. And then the article says, consider the following. I mean, it just goes through what's been happening in the last few weeks. America stabbing Israel in the back. Israel going it alone. Israel, with the dear leader here in the States, the Antiochus, Barack Hussein Obama, looking for any and every opportunity he can find to destabilize Israel, its position in the Middle East, to undermine the Netanyahu government. He hates Bibi. And, and they're using this. They're using this crisis to try to oust Benjamin Netanyahu. I've covered that with you on the show uh, already. This is from The Guardian. It says, Biden now regrets the strength of his support for Netanyahu. He must act before it's too late. The Guardian says, Joe Biden has a Benjamin Netanyahu problem, and how he deals with it grows more urgent with each brutal bloody day that passes. Thousands of Palestinian lives hang on the answer to this question. So too do hopes of stopping this hugely destructive war spreading beyond Gaza and of progress towards a lasting peace. See, all these, all these left-wingers, they, this war's got to stop. The civilians are in too much danger. They don't say anything about that with Ukraine. Not one word. To the contrary, as I played for you, he's at, the fake president's out there saying we need to give them $60 billion more or else our own soldiers are going to be fighting Russians. The Guardian says the Israeli prime minister's post-truce bombardment and ground invasion of southern Gaza is shaping up to be even more hellish in the UN officials' words. We know where the UN stands with respect to Israel. They oppose Israel every step of the way. 
than the indiscriminate mayhem in the North that preceded it. It says the U.S. president has, a, has the potential leverage and clout to rein him in where European and Arab leaders do not. Biden must take the lead. There's the Guardian. I'm sure the New York Times and the Washington Post, they're right in step with it. Hey, you better rein in BB. You better rein in the IDF. Forget about October 7. Forget about Israel's 9-11. BB needs to be stopped. At the New York Post, it says here, the White House is so serious about pushing Israel to make nice with Gaza's civilians that it sent, drumroll please, Vice President Kamala Harris to deliver the message. This is Michael Goodwin at the Post. It says, on second thought, cue honest outrage because panic over President Biden's faltering re-election campaign is driving a wedge between America and Israel. Just when Israel's enemies are already emboldened, it says here, the odds that Israel's security could be sacrificed to help boost Biden's bid for a second term have been growing ever since polls started showing that many young leftist Americans have no love for the Jewish state. This is what they're taught at the universities. Hate Jews, love Taylor Swift. Got it. Says here, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin also has been drafted into the campaign and he warned recently that Israel could be driving civilians into siding with Hamas saying it would turn a tactical victory into a strategic defeat. So you've got Lloyd Austin out there You've got Secretary Blinken, you've got the fake president, and of course the dear leader behind it all, working to undermine Bibi's government and to handcuff Israel, to, to prevent Israel from going on the counteroffensive following the, the, the 9-11 times 20 massacre that happened just two months ago. There's another story here also from the Post about the horrific atrocities that happened on October 7. There was one I saw just before I came here in the studio today. Now that some of these uh, hostages have been set free and doctors are examining them and the fact that the women were raped and, and, and some of the men as well raped while in captivity and then they're made to blow kisses or wave at their Hamas captors uh, during the hostage release. It's really sickening, appalling detail that we're learning more about with each passing day. But if you're at the Guardian, hey, hey, forget about that. Just dismiss all of that and, and no, no. I mean, what they teach you at Harvard is to resist and oppose the Jewish state at every turn. It doesn't matter what Hamas does, what the mullahs do, what Hezbollah, none of them. Just resist Israel. That's the, that's the agenda. A beautiful, a beautiful woman with the face of an angel was raped by eight to ten Hamas terrorists in Israel on October 7, while another tragic victim was beheaded with a shovel trying to defend herself, so says a stricken survivor. Yanni Saden, a 39-year-old father of four, told the UK's Sunday Times 
that he's still haunted by the horrific scenes he witnessed at the music festival when the Palestinian fiends slaughtered at least 364 festival goers, including the gang-raped woman who begged to be killed. She was begging to be killed. It says here, I saw this beautiful woman with the face of an angel and eight or ten of the fighters beating and raping her. She was screaming, stop it already. I'm going to die anyway from what you're doing. Just kill me. Just kill me. Just put me out of my misery. It says here, when they finished, they were laughing. And the last one shot her in the head. Satan said he witnessed the gruesome act after pulling over uh, over him the body of a slain woman who had also been shot in the head and smearing her blood on himself so it looked like he too was dead. All that and, and even worse happened just two months ago today. Israel's 9-11. We produced a documentary by that very title and you can get to that. It's offered exclusively at our uh, Rumble channel. Just go to rumble.com forward slash Trumpet Daily. You are listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. If you'd like to uh, email some feedback to the show, you can reach us, td at thetrumpet.com. Also, if you're at the Rumble channel, be sure to give us the thumbs up, the likes, so that you can up our ratings at, uh, at Rumble. We'll be right back. In 1994, Trumpet Editor-in-Chief Gerald Flurry asked, Is Iraq about to fall to Iran? It was a bold statement at the time. But over the next 20 years, this forecast became reality. Today, Iran is the undisputed king in the Middle East. In the early 1990s, we identified Iran as the prophesied king of the south. In the book of Daniel, it says this king of the south will push against the king of the north. These prophecies are being fulfilled before our eyes. To learn more about these incredible prophecies, request your free copy of The King of the South. This booklet examines the history and current events of the Middle East under the light of Bible prophecy. To learn more, please visit thetrumpet.com. This December, the Philadelphia Church of God celebrates its 34th anniversary. For more than three decades, the PCG has remained faithful to Herbert W. Armstrong's legacy, building a thriving work that delivers a powerful message to the world. Through the Plain Truth magazine, the World Tomorrow television and radio broadcast, and many other theological and humanitarian efforts founded by Mr. Armstrong, the truth of the Bible reached millions of people around the world during the 20th century. By 1986, the church had 120,000 members worldwide attending 725 congregations in 57 countries. When Mr. Armstrong died on January 16, 1986, that work stopped. Mr. Armstrong's chosen successor and his supporters systematically destroyed the work. Books were edited, shelved, or destroyed. Doctrines were changed. 
members who questioned the changes were silenced or kicked out of the church. Beginning in March 1989, a WCG minister stationed in Oklahoma named Mr. Gerald Flurry began to understand that the Book of Malachi explained what was happening to the church. Mr. Flurry wrote a manuscript titled Malachi's Message and shared it with family and his assistant pastor, Mr. John Amos. On December 7, 1989, Mr. Flurry and Mr. Amos were summoned to church headquarters at Pasadena, California. During that meeting, the new WCG Pastor General's son, Joe DeCotch Jr., fired and excommunicated both Mr. Flurry and Mr. Amos. Mr. Flurry founded the Philadelphia Church of God to raise the ruins of the work. Twelve members met for the first PCG service on December 16th, and the church was incorporated just a few days later on December 20th. After a six-year court battle with the WCG that ended in 2003, the PCG gained the rights to Mystery of the Ages and 18 of Mr. Armstrong's other works. These books and many others written by Mr. Flurry are now made available to the public at no cost or obligation. Since 1989, the PCG has grown tremendously. The headquarters campus in Edmond, Oklahoma is studded with beautiful buildings, with the magnificent performing arts facility Armstrong Auditorium as its crown jewel. On campus, Herbert W. Armstrong College students learn how to live the abundant way of life. Many college students have the opportunity to travel to the college's sister campus at Edstone, England, or to the Armstrong Institute of Biblical Archaeology and Archaeological Digs in Jerusalem. The work produces many publications and programs, including the Trumpet Magazine, the Royal Vision Magazine, the Key of David television program, and the Trumpet Daily Radio Show. In these and many other ways, the PCG is raising the ruins of God's work. To learn more about the work of the Philadelphia Church of God, please visit pcg.church. There you have it, our special anniversary segment of uh, News of the Work, 34 years on. Hard to believe, as I was telling the students this morning, if you go back to the early 1930s when God raised up the Philadelphia era of his church through Herbert W. Armstrong, I mean, you can fast forward from there 34 years and you get to the mid to late 1960s and of course, Mr. Armstrong only lived to 1986, but I was just telling the students how much mileage is behind us. 34 years, I mean, most of our students are in their early 20s, late teens even. The church has been around for some time, and it's uh, beautiful to see those aerial shots from, uh, from here and at Edstone. Just the beauty the, the, God has raised up the ruins in more ways than one. These beautiful campuses and headquarters facility, regional offices, the institute in Jerusalem, all the educational programs. I mean, how, how much greater significance does this take on, just the educational uh, system in God's church, when you consider what's out there in the world, like at Harvard? I remember back in the 1990s when we were you know, really trying to help people with educating their children and trying to figure out the, you know, the strengths of homeschooling as opposed to public schooling. I mean, this was back when, you know, public schools had uh, at least somewhat to offer. But you have to wonder these days when you see what goes on in Loudoun County, 
just a year or two ago. And then how the, the feds, they come, they come hard against the parents it, it, to support the administrators that want, to, that want to put in all these perverted policies that influence and affect little kindergartners, second and third graders. You do, you look at that video and you're certainly, you're appreciative of everything that God has raised up. It goes back to December 7th, 1989. December 7th, 1989, that's 34 years ago. My father, he writes about this anniversary in quite a lot of the, the writings. I guess, I guess I could mention Raising the Ruins. That was uh, uh, touched on in the, uh, the segment there. But that, that gives you some pretty good history. What happened after Herbert Armstrong died um, in those early years, starting in the Laodicean era, the establishment of the Philadelphia Church of God on December 7, 1989. A lot of that, a lot of that's discussed in Raising the Ruins. If you don't have a copy of that book, be sure to call our operators and secure a copy. There's no cost, no obligation. We just need to know where to send it. The 800 number, it's one 930 As I say, my father talks about the church anniversary in quite a few of his writings. This is, this is from Who Is That Prophet? It says, on December 7, 1989, the late John Amos, my assistant, and I were fired from the Worldwide Church of God. We sat in the office of Joseph Tkach Jr. for about four hours, my father says, I was emotionally uh, in shock because of what was being said. This was the meeting where Joe Koch Jr. talked about how Mystery of the Ages, this book right here, that we would later fight for in court for six years. And Joe Koch Jr. said on December 7th, 1989, he said this book was riddled with error. And then he came out later and lied about it. He just said, no, I never said that. He's like Joe Biden. No, that's not true. Those are lies that I said it was riddled with there. I never said that. And then he came around full circle by the mid-1990s where he was bragging about dismantling everything that that church represented and how that mystery of the ages was just full of false doctrine. But early on, they lied to their brethren. They lied to the people of the Worldwide Church of God to try to deceive them. They did everything that they could to try to keep them in that church, that organization, even if it was lying to their face. He says it was obvious that Mr. Dukach seriously disagreed with what Mr. Armstrong taught. This surprised me. My father's talking about the meeting he had when he got fired. December 7, 1989, he said, This surprised me because on some naive level, I believe that when I went to Pasadena, I might be able to contribute to helping God get the church back on track with what he had revealed to me in Malachi's message. He was hopeful that some of the top ministers there in Pasadena would receive the message, would receive Malachi's message, and turn to God in repentance and get back to what Mr. Armstrong taught. But they wouldn't do it. They didn't want to do it. They couldn't wait for Mr. Armstrong to die, at least not those 
in uh, Mr. Tkach's inner circle. These were scholars in the tabernacle, as it says in Malachi 2. These were Joshua's fellows, as it says in Zechariah 3. And they wanted to destroy the worldwide church of God, or at least to destroy it as we knew it, those of us that grew up in it, under the, the, the leadership, the loving, righteous leadership of Herbert Armstrong. They wanted nothing of that history or those traditions or those teachings. So they started to change everything. The doctrines, the teachings, the programs, the campuses, everything. My father says, the longer I sat there in that meeting, December 7, 1989, the longer I sat there, though, the clearer it became to me that the Worldwide Church of God was not going to get back on track again. He said, this was most disturbing. What do you do when you see, when you see the whole organization, this whole movement, the Bible calls it a great falling away from the truth. What do you do when that happens? Well, a lot of people just went down with the ship. A lot of people just stayed in there and said, well, I'm, I can't leave the church. So I've just got to follow the Tkachas and, and take whatever it is they say. A lot of people did that. Tens of thousands of people did that. Only a very few courageously stood up against it. It says here, leaving Mr. Tkachas' office that night, I was more discouraged than I had ever been in my life. I didn't know what was going to happen. We, we had had God's truth all those years, which perhaps I had taken for granted. And here I had talked to a man at the very top who contributed greatly to the doctrinal changes taking place. What a frightening experience. Why would God allow a leader like that to be over his church? It was deeply distressing to me. Well, God allowed it because, as it says in 2 Thessalonians 2, He sent strong delusion to see how much His people loved the truth. Malachi's message, that's available without cost, without ob obligation either. one 930 That's all we have time for on this special program, this anniversary edition. You are listening to Stephen Fleury, and this is the Trumpet Daily. Thank you for joining us on today's show, and we'll see you tomorrow.